I've got a bit of a handout for everybody, so if my hand or outerers could give me a hand, that'd be great. We're talking about goal setting. Goal setting. Setting goals. Having goals. Thinking about goals. I'd just like to welcome two other new people specifically. There's a young lady sitting next to Mavis we haven't seen before. Um, and also there's a young lady sitting uh, between Kaming and James we haven't seen before either. Yeah. Uh, great hairstyle, guys. Goals. Commit your works to the Lord. Submit and trust them to Him. And your plans will succeed. If you respond to his will and guidance, if you respond to his will and guidance, the Christian life, it's assumed that you have some goals, that you have some plans, you have some hopes. This is an assumption. It's also important for us to remember that God has a plan for our life. If you don't believe me, give me the benefit of the doubt. If that's not a dad joke, I don't know what is. Two weeks ago, we had an introduction to goals and we listed some of the categories and looked at some of the different goals, plans that maybe you might have. One of my specific goals and plans is to finish the dozen books that I am halfway or partway through. Is anyone else like that? You just kind of pick up another book before you finish the one that you so badly wanted to get through and read. I really want to get that done. I really want to get that finished. What are some of the goals that you have for this year? What does your tomorrow look like? What does your next year look like? Goal setting and planning, I believe, is something given by God. Paul says that Jesus came at just the right time. I reckon our Heavenly Father had a goal, had a plan when Jesus came. I do not believe we're meant to live haphazardly. Paul says to consider the things that are excellent, to think about things that are excellent. What excellent things are you thinking about right now? That Ben will finish early and on time? What excellent things are you thinking about? What excellent goals do you have? Yet I I think the real message behind this idea of goals is that the idea of planning and goal setting is not the end point, it's the process So what is the process about? The process is about us being with God. That's what the process is about. Setting goals and plans is the idea of coming before God and being close to Him. And on top of that, I couldn't help but maybe declare, perhaps in this series, subversively, we're going to look at some foundations of what we call Christian paradoxes, maybe. And one idea we're going to look at today is captured in this question. Whose goals and plans are they really? I mean, if I'm making goals and plans, they're mine, aren't they? Or or God has a plan for my life, so it's God's plan? Should I even bother making a plan? Should I even bother having a goal? Is thinking about a goal and a plan even worthwhile? Is there a point to it? I mean, whose plan is it? Whose goal is it? I think the answer to this question and the way we live our life depends on our 
our worldview of God, how we perceive God works in our world and in my life. Words like free will and providence and sovereignty come to mind. So I'm going to draw, I'm going to declare where I come from. I'm going to draw on an Arminian relational perspective. Nick kind of said the same thing. He said, partnership with Jesus. But if you look in the type in a word into Google, relational Arminian perspective is what I'm going to draw from for the purpose of this message. Heavenly Father, help us to have ears to hear. May we truly live in close fellowship with you all the days of our life. And everybody said, Amen. The first thing I think we need to be aware of is throughout our life, we need to be in a place where we will or we are willing to redefine our goals and our plans. In the Christian journey, we change, don't we? We mature. We, we, we gain experiences and understanding and, and we experience God's love and God's love is so amazing. But as the years go by, we experience his love more and more and more. It's like you can't reach the end of God. We can't fully contain God. We can't fully and precisely come up with a theory that works. It just seems as though there's more and more to learn and to understand and to grow in. And in fact, there's great joy in that. I think in my life now, in my walk, I share more intentionally my inner thoughts with God than I did 20 years ago. I think I share more intentionally my inner thoughts and my feelings with God more today than I did five years ago. I think I'm more settled in my own heart in who I am and who God has called me to be. I mean, God said that He will build His church. I'm, I'm a pastor. What's my job? If God's building His church, I'm just going to sit down in the front row and see what happens but we know that's not how it works we know that's not how it's supposed to work either i mean how are the saints equipped what's what role do i play how does it work in a community of believers and i also know that what i needed 20 years ago isn't completely what i need today my needs also change Am I saying anything outrageously new to you? You would all be very aware of this. But making goals and plans needs to have an element of changeability. I would say this about goals and plans. What or how will you do tomorrow? God is very interested in your tomorrow. He is the light at your feet. He is lighting up the path before you. He is so interested in your tomorrow. God is more interested in you than you are interested in yourself. So who determines your tomorrow? Do you? Or does God? Jesus says, as long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. There is a sense that the time we have today is precious and limited and shift, sifting through our hands. There is a strong sense that, that the time at some stage will end for everybody. Time in this life, in this world, as we know it, will end and finish. There is a value placed upon time. What will you do with your tomorrow? What are you hoping for? 
for you tomorrow. Jesus speaks about here in this passage of a father who is sharing his works. What is Jesus doing? He is doing the works of the one who sent him. That sounds like sharing to me. And I think the key aspect of sharing is something we need to capture more. So the second point I would say this morning is that we need to be come, to a, come to a place where we're willing to share our goals and plans. First of all, with the Lord. And secondly, with some others. We need to come to a place where we share those things. There is something in sharing that blurs the lines of who does it belong to. Let's take a marriage and a marriage is separating. Who does this belong to? I don't know. Let's take a business. In business world, there's something called IP, it's intellectual property. When they commercialise intellectual property, they sometimes make a lot of money. Intellectual property is a fancy way of saying an idea or something that's been created. Commercialising it is putting it into the market and selling it. So, so there's a whole group of people involved in the IP and the planning and the resourcing and the financing and making it work. And after 20 years, it all breaks down and, and things fail and everyone wants their bit. Whose idea was it? Whose plan was it? Whose resources were they? You see, when we share things, the, the, the line of ownership becomes a little bit blurry. I mean, is it Beck's house or is it my house? Now, we know the right answer is it's Beck's house. <laughs> is it my bottom drawer next to my bed? You know, the one with the salt and vinegar chips in there and the TV snacks and the minties? Or is it Beck's? Now, that is a battleground that happens nightly, people. The closet... Is that my space or is that Beck's space? I mean, isn't the line a bit blurry? Isn't, isn't the line when we share and when we work together in partnership, doesn't the line become a little bit blurry? Do you, are you tracking with what I'm saying? Does it make sense? I really believe that sharing our heart, our goals and plans has an element of protecting us. You see, when I declare before God my intentions, when I submit to Him my hopes and my goals and my dreams, there's a dialogue and a conversation that can take place. God can speak to me. I can listen. When I share my dreams and hopes with other people, they can say, oh, Ben, you're really looking after number one there, aren't you? There's some protection that comes when we share. There's some protection that comes when we submit our heart to God and we allow Him to consider what we're on about. Paul gives us a very simple filter. He says, brothers and sisters, one final thing, fix your thoughts, your plans, your goals, your dreams, your hopes on what is true, what is honourable, what is right, what is pure, lovely, admirable, excellent and worthy of praise. Can we say to those eight filters... Yes to what I'm going to do tomorrow. Tough filter, isn't it? Tough filter. But necessary. Because Galatians 2, as we, as we learnt last year, it's, it's not I that lives, but Christ lives in me. What does that look like? It looks like this. I no longer live, but I do. Whose life is it? 
Christ lives in me and he does, but where? How? The line's a bit blurry. And then this idea of of partnership, of close fellowship with God, ultimately it requires a surrendering. It requires a laying down. It requires a a sense of, "I, I, I, I just give up, Lord, because your ways are far better than my ways. Your ways are higher than my ways. I think it's important that we really spend time to talk and listen to God. You know, one of the things I find in talking to people is they wish they had more time for prayer. Isn't that interesting? What is prayer? Prayer is talking and hopefully listening to God. That's what people say, I just, I wished I had more time for prayer. This is a cry, a deep cry of our hearts. No longer I live, but Christ lives in me. This need to share, this need to listen to his voice. Can I say that one of the most beautiful process ways to engage with God and to bear yourself before God is to commit to the Lord whatever you do. And in that committing process, he will establish your plans. God promises to intentionally engage with you in your life. Isn't that beautiful? God wants to engage with your life. God wants to be there in it with you. God is not far away. God is close and near. In fact, Jesus said that, I will send you the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Truth. He will come to you from the Father and will testify about me. God Emmanuel, God with me, God teaching me, God showing me, God helping me to understand and to grow. It requires a realisation that God is not far from me at all. In fact, God is nearer than we think. He's closer than a close brother or a close sister. So it's not God or goal and plan, it's God and goal and plan. And I think too often we try and separate our lives and consider things too clinically. It's like we're trying to separate sugar and salt. Have you ever done that little prank before? No? Such a good church, this one. A prankless church. You know, Paul was going to include that in Philippians 4.8, but it got edited. A prankless church. I remember filling the salt with sugar and filling the sugar with salt. Oh, it was a lot of fun. A lot of fun. It's hard to separate out, isn't it? In fact, you end up having to throw it out. Too many times we try and separate things out, but the idea of close fellowship is that God is so close to me that it's actually I that no longer lives, but Christ lives in me. That's what close fellowship is. This is a real scriptural dilemma, and I want to explore this with you a little bit further with a very specific example where Paul commences his second missionary journey. Paul and Silas are set apart to do what? To share the good news of Jesus with who? The Gentiles. In other words, anyone else who isn't Jewish. Anyone else who isn't Jewish. That's, that's their heart, that's their desire. And so this passage from Acts 16 says that Paul and Silas travelled through the area of Phygia and Galatia. Because the Holy Spirit had prevented, prevented? 
the Holy Spirit had prevented them from preaching the word in the province of Asia at that time. So on face value of this verse, you could argue that Paul's plan A didn't work and he had to switch to plan B. That's how I've pretty much always thought. That's how I've pretty much always understood that passage. Maybe Paul and Silas were doing something wrong. Maybe they didn't pray hard enough. Maybe they didn't commit enough time to prayer and fasting and seeking the direction and the will of God. That was my conclusion for many years. But in reality, the passage doesn't say that, does it? Isn't it amazing how we want to read things into Scripture that isn't there? Isn't it incredible that as good Christians that we are, prankless Christians of Burnside Family Church, we want to read things in the passage that aren't necessarily there? I find myself struggling with that all the time. But it doesn't say why they were prevented, how they were prevented. Whose goal and plan is it anyway? Then coming to the borders of Mycenae, they headed north to the province of Bithynia. But again, the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them to go there. So now I'm frustrated. I'm heading on this road. I know where I'm going. And and I kind of get to a place where I'm almost there. And then I'm still not allowed to go in there. I mean, did you ever make the wrong turn? Did you ever make a wrong choice? Have you ever felt like this before? You know, when you're trying to get from church to home and you head down your normal way and there's roadworks. You know those guys with 25-kilometre signs? They're everywhere. So then you take a detour. And then there's a Volvo driver there, honestly. They're living in a constant 25 zone. Are there any Volvo drivers here? I do apologise. And then finally, you get to another road because you change plan again and then that road is chock-a-block with traffic because there's a problem with a water main. So then you take another road and then you end up with another set of roadworks. I mean, I'm getting frustrated right now just thinking about several experiences in this past week. Frustrated. What about job hunting? You know, how many jobs do I have to apply for to get one? What about house hunting? How many houses do I need to check to get the one that I really want? I I think it helps if we can actually see a map. Would that be helpful, what I'm talking about? I just happen to have one. So this is where Paul started, and he's heading into Asia. That's his heart. He wants to preach into Asia. This is a Roman province of Asia, okay? Not Asia, Asia, the Roman province of Asia. And so, as Paul's heading into Asia, he's not allowed to, so he hangs around this area, uh, spends some time there. So then he goes, all right, let, let's, head, let's head up to this space. Nice beaches there, nice cafes, good internet. So Paul heads this way, and as they head there, they realise that they're not allowed to either. They, they, he, he, he just knows somehow that he's not permitted to go there. I mean, Paul just wanted to preach. I mean, Ephesus is there, Colossae. These are cities that we know, don't we? Paul just wanted to preach the gospel. I'm not permitted to preach the gospel. Verse 8 says, So instead, this is how I like to read it, So instead, frustrated and annoyed, they headed to the port of Troash. That had enough. They were angry. The Bible doesn't say that, does it? doesn't say that. I want it to say it, but it's not there. 
One of the things that I want you to capture today is that the normal Christian life is more than refraining from doing bad things. The normal Christian life is more than avoiding and refraining from doing things that are obviously wrong. Our conscience tells us that, the Word says that, that His conscience is upon our heart, that, that we have a, a sense of right and wrong. But the normal Christian life is more than just avoiding those wrong things, those things that aren't good, those things that aren't for us, refraining from the seven deadly sins. So if no longer I that live but Christ lives in me, then how can God not permit me to do these good things? That is the challenge of the normal Christian life. What are the good things that God's got for you that are different from someone else's good things? What are the good things that God's got for you? What are the good things that God has for you, for you alone? That's hard. And that's why I think this close fellowship, this close walking with God is necessary for us to be in that place where we are choosing between good things. I think that's what Jesus speaks about in Matthew when he says to ask and to seek and to knock. This is part of the relationship of close fellowship with our Heavenly Father, to to be close to Him, to try and work out, what is the good thing that you want me to do here, Lord? What is the good decision that I should be making? Because there are two choices. There are two good things. Which one do I choose? Which one do I go down? See, I think now that Paul and Silas were simply discovering what God had for them. There was no Google. There was no tourist bureau. There was no internet. There was nothing for them to research apart from to literally go. And as they entered into each province, as they entered into each city, they were praying and saying, Lord, is this the place for us to preach? Is this the place where you want us to go? And it was in that process of close fellowship that they learned that, no, this is not the time for this place. No, this is not the time for this good thing. That takes Christian maturity to say no to a good thing when you could disobey and do it anyway. That's hard. That's the normal Christian life. That's where we're to be walking. That requires close fellowship. That requires something more than just going, is this right or is this wrong? That requires close fellowship because we're choosing good or good. That requires a sense of submission, a Christian maturity and a real desire to walk every day with Jesus. And I'm not just stealing their name. Literally every day with Christ. There's a beautiful, simple verse in Genesis 5 and it's the story of a man called Enoch. And it simply says that he walked in close fellowship with God and then he was no more. God took him. That verse just gets me emotional. Close fellowship that could be defined as as communing with God, that could be defined as walking closely with God, trusting God, submitting your life to God, sharing with God. The Amplified Version says reverent fear and obedience. Close fellowship. Close fellowship helps us to be okay with the no. So go and no are okay. You know how sometimes you have a a good plan and a good goal and then you seem to hit something which is 
feels like it's blocking you, that's okay. It might be a no for that time. Go and know are okay together. But that is the beauty of a plan and a goal. It also helps you to say no to the good things so that you can do the things God has for you to do. There's lots of good things that we can do, is there not? There is an unlimited amount of good things that we can do. But should we? Should we? You see, Paul and Silas have reached the end, and so they head to the port. When you get to the port, you can basically go anywhere. There are boats going all over the place. And so it was at that point in time, it was at that place of surrender, where do we go, that they had a vision of a man from Macedonia in northern Greece standing there pleading, saying, come over and help us. You know, sometimes... We don't know, but God does. God knows. What's God's will for my life? What's God's plan for my life? What does God want for me to do? Well, I think the answer comes when we keep close fellowship. And then in the most beautiful, amazing, special ways, through that close fellowship, God reveals to us what it is for us to do what it is for us to do. So they decided at once, they decided, sorry, so we decided to leave for Macedonia at once, having concluded that God was calling us there to preach the good news. Soft heart and close fellowship. You see, this was the process by which Paul and Silas were working through their goals and their plans. They were submitting them to God and God was speaking to them. It's okay to have a no. Don't be disheartened by a no. Don't be discouraged by a no. In fact, rejoice. Be glad. Be grateful that God has it in control. So close fellowship and goals and plans. Whose goals and plans are they? All a person's ways seem pure to them but the motives are weighed by the Lord. I think this verse is best understood relationally rather than a courtroom setting of a judge who is testing what you're thinking and what you're doing. In a relational sense, this is a Heavenly Father who desires to know what you're thinking and feeling and and to be sure that even when you're not being honest with yourself, that your Heavenly Father in a beautiful and precious and relational way, will say, hey, this is the truth of how you're feeling. This is the truth of how you're thinking. That is such a beautiful proverb. That is such a beautiful promise. It is not a God who's sitting there judging and saying, that's terrible and that's wrong and you can come up with your ideas, but here's what you're really doing. Yes, that is true at one level. But for walking in close fellowship with God, This means that I am safe with my thoughts and my feelings, submitting them to Him. And I think our culture would have far less mental health, would have far less issues of guilt, would have far less anxiety if we each had close fellowship with God and were able to unload and offload our feelings and our thoughts with our Heavenly Father more regularly than what we do. 
I believe that with all my heart. If we are in a place where we could unload and release and give what we are thinking and feeling to our God more. Take delight in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. He will give you your heart's desires. This is clearly relational. Delight here. This word also means soft and pliable. What does that mean then? To be soft and pliable before the Lord. To allow Him to touch you and to minister to you and to direct you. To be soft-hearted and humble. To bring your feelings before Him. And the heart here also means feelings and intellect and thinking. So to be soft in the Lord, to be pliable in the Lord, and and He will give me my heart's desires, my plans and my thoughts and my hopes and my dreams. Because in the close relationship, the line becomes so blurred, whose hearts and thoughts are they really? Are they mine? Are they God's? When it comes to close fellowship, the blurred line becomes, no, it's, it's, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me, so now I live this life. What? I'm not living, but Christ lives in me, but I am living? It's a blurry line. So whose goals and plans are they? Well, I really believe that how you view things like sovereignty and providence, your, your, your view of how you understand how God's works really informs, and I would argue determines your capacity and understanding of goals and planning. You see, does God determine everything? Does God allow illness? Does God, uh, uh, you know, say that he's in charge and responsible of, of, of sin? Does, does God author sin? How does God's sovereignty work? We, we cherry-pick what we like and we just ignore what we're not sure about and don't like. I mean, missionaries are being kidnapped and persecuted. Is that God's sovereignty? I mean, these are the people who are going to preach the gospel in places that are hard. Surely out of all the people, they would have awesome protection and like shields and, and laser guns and stuff. They are being persecuted. How do we view God? I mean, is God someone who's far away or someone who's close to you? I mean, can God really help me with a close car park to the shopping centre but not help me with my family member who's got cancer? I mean, is God sovereign or, or, or what does that even mean? Do my goals matter? Is everything predetermined? What's the point? I mean, providence. How does God answer my prayer? Do my prayers even matter? If all the Christians were to stop praying, would it change what happens in this world? Think about that. Some people, when they pray, they don't pray for God to act, they pray for God to give them patience and endurance. What's happening there? Some people pray for God to act, they don't pray for patience and endurance. Some people pray for both at the same time. Is God sovereign? Like, who's the providence? Does God. Ah. 
I mean, I'm going to have to say these words, but I mean, are you a Calvinist? Are you a Arminian? Are you in the mediating bracket? Do you believe in divine determinism? Or are you a processed person? Nick said it at communion time. He said it really simply. Are you in partnership with God? Because I would argue that in any partnership, those lines, they get a bit blurry, don't they? That's what a partnership is. It's no longer mine and yours, it's ours. Let me share my view. I believe that God is not a deist God uninvolving and only observing. Colossians 1 says that God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. God, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. My God is not a deist God. He is not uninvolved. He is not far off and far away, but he is close. Hebrews 1 says that God has spoken to us through his Son. The Son reflects God's own glory. Everything about him represents God exactly. And Jesus himself says, anyone who's seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? My God is not a deist God. He's not far away. He's not uninvolved. He's not somewhere else. He's not letting us live our life just haphazardly. God is a personal, loving, self-involving, passionate, relational God of creation and Father of Jesus Christ. Romans 5 says that while we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time. Most people would not be willing to die for an upright person. Though someone might be willing to die for someone who's good. But God showed us his great love by sending Christ to die while we were still sinners. God is personal, loving, self-involving. God was coming to save us if we knew it or not, and if we cared or if we didn't. God is intimately involved in the details of life to the extent that we allow him to be. God has goals and plans for my life insofar as I surrender to his will. Whatever happens to me is needful and best. I never think God designs, foreordains, or renders certain my sins and failures. James 1 says that when tempted, no one should say God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person, when tempted, they are dragged away by their own desires and enticed. And so God doesn't design or foreordain or render others' sins that impact my life. You know, if someone sins and it hurts me, that's not God's fault. That's not God's fault. But yet all things work together for good for those who love him. Whose plan is it? Whose plan is it? Missio Dei is God's plan and goal and choice to involve himself intimately with the world so as to be affected by it. You can't tell me that Jesus was not affected when he went to the cross. You can't tell me that when Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Those words weren't genuine and so paradoxical that it's impossible for us 
Christians to box and define in an absolute ironclad way. We know how God works. But God is so interested in us that He allowed Himself to be affected, to experience death. Isaiah 53 says, It was the Lord's will to crush Him and to cause Him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, after he has suffered, he will see the light and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. I mean, can you imagine the father and the son discussing this plan and this goal? How do you have that discussion? The close fellowship of the father and the son must have been so close. Can I say to you that if we are to follow Jesus... We're also to follow in that close fellowship with Him. Do you desire close fellowship with God? I believe that's one of the beautiful things of goals and planning, is that it's supposed to make us walk in close fellowship with God as we set our goals and as we plan our tomorrow. It's supposed to draw us to God. It's supposed to bring us into close fellowship and and consolidate our fellowship and strengthen our fellowship and deepen our fellowship. I mean, that's what you want, don't you? You want close relationship with God. Isn't that what you desire? Isn't that the deepest cry of our hearts, to just be in the presence of God and be near Him and be close to Him? Isn't that what we all really want? Isn't that how we want to live our lives now? I mean, that's eternity, living in close fellowship with God. Well, we can have it now, can't we? Are you walking in close fellowship with God? See, it's God with us, not we are God. The answer to the goals and plans, whose are they? I want you to consider the answer is just close fellowship. Just close fellowship. Who, who, whose goals and plans? It's just close fellowship. Who's Just close fellowship. What are you doing? Close fellowship. Why do you do that? Close fellowship. How do you live? Close fellowship. Close fellowship. Close fellowship. Isn't that what we want? On the back of your handout is a beautiful psalm. I just want to close with verse 8. Whose goals are they? I want to say they're mine and they're his. And they're his and they're mine. I want to say close fellowship. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. Heavenly Father, help us to walk in close fellowship with you, to not live our life haphazardly, but to simply be in complete partnership with you, authentic and genuine partnership, where we can experience the fullness of your life in us, Because it's no longer we that live, but you live in me. Lord Jesus, help us to submit our desires and our plans and our thoughts and our actions to you. Help us to think of excellent things. Lord, I pray that, Lord, the line will become so blurry. Whose goals and plans are they? Just close fellowship. Lord, I pray that you would take every person here up with you 
just as Enoch experienced. May we have eternity with you. So Lord, help us with close fellowship now, in this time, while it is still day, that we may do the work of the one who has sent us. And everybody said, Amen.